The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome back after our break. We did meet on Christmas or New Year's, and we had uh, the Common Ground year-end retreat between. So, once again, it's amazing how things change. 2016, gone. I mean, literally nowhere to be found. It seems like it's just back there somewhere, but it just doesn't exist back there at all. Nor does 2017 really exist, right? It, I mean, there's this moment, but we think we're in, but there is no real 2017 out there. It's completely unformed, unknown. There's just this, this fragile present moment. And... Uh, seems like an especially good time, given everything that's moving in our world, to reflect on this quality of the heart uh, that the Pali word is mudita, but the translation usually is appreciative joy, even just the word joy or sympathetic joy, even the word gladness sometimes is used. And not to see it as just a sentimental, I'm going to appreciate what's beautiful, I'm going to be grateful for what's good in my life. You know, that's nice, but it's actually a much more radical attitude of mind that we can cultivate, this appreciative joy. It's a real affront to the arrogant sense that the world is screwed, or any kind of negative attitude we have about ourselves, we have about another person, or even more generally about the world. I mean, isn't it It's relatively easy to have a, a pretty fixed sense that the world is bad? And the thing is, there's a lot of evidence, right? I mean, there's things the mind points to. So there is this discriminating wisdom that notices injustice, notices meanness and violence and different qualities that are present in the world that are clearly not helpful, not skillful. But there's other things, too, that maybe because they challenge the simplicity of the idea that it's bad, like there's beauty and there's goodness and there's joy. Simple things, really simple things. Just noticing, like I mentioned this morning in the talk, you know, when we walk outside and we see the frost on the windshield that we have to scrape off one more time. But, you know, before we get grumpy, we could just notice how amazing ice crystals are. I mean, it's just, it really, they really are, in a simple way, a thing of beauty. The fact that somehow nature unfolds in this way on anything including windshields and everything that's out there to be touched. Or the, you know, looking up at night on a winter's night when it's clear and seeing the brightness of the stars or watching children play or the chickadees and the bird feeder. And it's not like any one of these things is, uh, you know, mystically beautiful but there's something, something in the simplicity and the naturalness and the 
you know, these moments, one of the things they uncover or reveal is like life, the activity of life being unburdened, unfolding in an unburdened way. I mean, isn't that true when you, it's not that a squirrel's life is easy necessarily, but isn't it true that in a chickadee and a squirrel, in moments in human beings, maybe more rare than in squirrels and birds, but in moments seeing somebody ride by in a bike on a cold day or somebody scraping the windshield off of their car, just to see life happening in an unburdened way, like that being showing up, opening up to the moment, doing what needs to be done, but not bothering to construct a whole lot of weight that they have to carry. They're just the heart, the mind, just doing what's next. And it's not just that it happens in Minneapolis. It also happens in places that, you know, you know, there are more challenges, like a war zone. As difficult as it is, as many difficult, painful things that are happening, there are also beautiful things happening there too. Moments of delight, moments of lightness and joy, moments of calm, moments of beauty, internally in our mind and body, externally in the world around us. So this practice of mudita, or appreciative joy, it's like we're training the mind to use this frame, you could say this perspective or this attitude that recognizes what's beautiful, recognizes what's good, like having radar for that. In the same way that we mostly go around the world having radar for what's off, that kind of critical mind, what's dangerous, what's inappropriate. And again, that's not like we want to get rid of that. There's that discriminating you know, danger radar is useful because there are actual dangers in life. And it's good to have a very grounded, honest, clear connection. But to do that, the mind really needs to be in balance. It has to not be operating with the frame like it's bad. There's a lot of bad out there. And so then we look for confirming facts. Oh, yeah. Look at that person left the litter. Didn't pick up after their dog. That person is mean. I can just tell. You know. And we just keep confirming because the mind, we don't realize it, but the mind is dependent on being right, that the world is somehow a heavy place, a bad place, a lot of meanness. There's sort of two ways that our dharma practice operates. Dharma, again, is the Buddha didn't teach Buddhism. He was a human being that had some deep insight and could articulate what had happened, what he came to understand about his own mind in a way that other people could wake up, have the same insights that he had. And he didn't teach Buddhism. He didn't try to like make something. He was just talking about what a clear mind comes to understand. So it's more useful. It's still always going to be tricky, but it's more useful to say, you know, we're interested in dharma, which is the Sanskrit word, or dhamma is the Pali word, which just means we're interested in the way it is, the way it actually is, not the way we think it is, not a concept, 
but a more direct and immediate knowing. And there's two ways that our mind sort of can break through our habits, because our habit is to experience the world according to our thoughts. And so one way is to train the mind to keep deconstructing our experience. So instead of, and I always say this, like when we're here on Sunday night, instead of saying, oh, I'm at Comagron on Sunday night, we notice it, we notice our present moment experience in a more direct, immediate, elemental way. Seeing is being known. Now, can't we do that right now, all of us? If your eyes are open, even if your eyes are closed, you know, there's some visual experience being known, right? So, instead of that visual experience immediately going to the story, the mind's interpretation of the visual experience, just leave it at the visual experience being known, like shape, color, form is being known. Same with sound. Like we hear the background of the blower, and you might hear people moving. But instead of the story, oh yeah, people are moving here at Common Ground on Sunday night, or there must be a furnace in the basement, and it's got some big blower going, and we can hear it up here. But the hearing of the sound is... We could just leave it there without the meaning the mind imputes. So there's seeing, there's hearing. So one way that our mind develops wisdom, breaks through the conceptual overlay, is we deconstruct present moment experience by understanding there are just these different elements of the present moment, and each element is just something being known. Right? There's a sensitive something or other here. We can call it the heart or the mind. And that sensitive heart, moment by moment, is knowing something. Knowing a sight, knowing a sound, knowing a sensation, knowing a thought, knowing an emotion, knowing, knowing, something being known. And that liberates the mind from its dependence on story, on our mental interpretations, which may not seem like much, but we don't always realize how much, in fact, all of our suffering arises not because they're suffering, but because our stories that we're telling ourselves are very constricted. And they not only cause suffering for ourselves, but they support suffering arising in others. So when we break through that by simply deconstructing our experience as things are being known, opening to what in Buddhism we call dhamma or dharma, the way it is. Now mudita, this appreciative joy, same with compassion and kindness and equanimity, it's really a different strategy for awakening. Both are equally effective and we want to be able to work with both. So one basic mode, and you see it in all spiritual systems, is this deconstruction mode that I just talked about. But the other is more what you could call an inclusive mode. So neither one is right. It's, they're just skillful means. Like So deconstructing your experience into, oh, this is being known, this is just being known, this is being known, as a way to break through, break free of the conceptualizing mind, that's just a skillful means, a strategy that has an effect. Right? It's an intervention that has a, an effect. The mind realizes this 
free of conceptual overlays. Now, the other way of doing it, you could say a more inclusive attitude, right? Where we're still working with awareness, but instead of using the awareness to see, experience in the elemental nature, okay, in this moment, this is what's predominant, this is being known, it's just this being known, it's just this being felt, it's just this, it's just this, it's just this. We're, in a sense, right, it's not exactly right, but in a sense, we're leaning back, we're resting back in awareness, but in a more inclusive, broad, deep, everything's included. So this has more the flavor of love, because I think that's actually a pretty good definition of love, that inclusive seeing that everything belongs. The heart doesn't need to push anything away. It belongs, yes. Seeing the interdependent nature, seeing that how this moment it can't be other, other than the way it is. Like really recognize, like, we can do that now, right? Instead of like the visual form just being something being known, we can open not just to the visual experience being known, but hearing is being known, and the experience of bodily sensations are being known, and any mental activity, that's also just something being known. But now we're, what's really predominant is the inclusive nature, that everything belongs that it's okay for this to be the way that it is. So we're appreciating, we're forgiving, we're allowing, we're accepting, we're understanding, of course. Of course, it's like this now. Right? And you see how that also breaks the mind free of its conceptual overlays, because all of our conceptual overlays are about dividing things up, me and you, good and bad. But we're fragmenting our experience through the ways we tell ourselves stories about what's happening now, or who I am now, or what I'm supposed to be doing now. But because we're training the mind to have this inclusive, all-embracing, accepting, this willingness to be touched or to be exposed, not trying to defend ourselves, not trying to figure anything out, sort of letting it rip, letting it move, letting it be. So it, you'll see, too, if you take that approach, then the conceptual overlays fall apart because this view that we're training the mind in challenges all of our conceptual overlays. They just aren't needed, don't make sense. They don't fit. They don't belong in a way. Because it's just a thought. It's just a thought among all that's moving and being felt and being seen in the moment. We don't need the thought to frame, to explain what's happening. It's just what it is. It's just a thought. It's just an idea. And this is more the uh, place of mudita, of appreciative joy, this inclusive, um, all-embracing. And the, it really describes the nimbleness of the heart. You know, so the way the Buddha helps, uh, you know, advises us to 
train in this other way of being uh, the heart, realizing the heart that can include, that can receive, realizing the heart that can be undefended, that is willing to be touched by what's moving, what's happening, is to work on the four qualities that basically take care of us. So there's the basic friendliness, what we call metta, or the Pali word is metta, and there's compassion. Metta usually gets translated as loving kindness, but it's more general than that. It's not it's not a great trans. It's not bad to say loving kindness, but it's just the goodness, the heart that's the capacity of the heart to be friendly. And then there's compassion, which is specifically the heart that knows how to be close to what's difficult or what's painful, whether it's the pain is within us or in another. Compassion is the quality of heart that can say yes to that. And Appreciative joy that we're talking about tonight, mudita, is that understanding, that quality of the heart that knows how to be close to what's beautiful, what's good. It's not afraid of it, it's not envious, it's not comparing. You can just see simple things. It'd be great right now to give, you know, a little challenge and to see, you know, you have, if we wanted to, to take five minutes and see if you can come up and actually experience a hundred things that are beautiful. You know, it could be like smoothness is nice. There's, I mean, it's ordinary, it's simple, but just that the wood is smooth or the, the color and the grains of the wood. I mean, even in the lectern itself, you know, the contrast the craftsperson did with the darker wood and the lighter wood and the way they did the joints. And I mean, even in one little thing, but I could also, you know, and more my habit, I could notice a lot of flaws. I could see the scratches that are there and the, the this is and the that's and it's a little low. She didn't realize we'd be up in the platform. It should have really been this high and, and all those sorts of things. So it's like to train the mind in this way to include, like to see what's beautiful to strengthen that habit of mind to include, to say yes, to relax with, to be touched by. Because when we do it initially with what's beautiful, what's joyful, what's successful, what's wholesome, then we realize we can say yes to everything. But we have to kind of grease that will or strengthen that way of being in the world, way of perceiving. In the same way with that other training where we're deconstructing, it's a real specific training. And ideally, if you're interested in this path of awakening, you might lead with one of these two approaches, you know, the love approach or the wisdom approach. That's another way of thinking of these two approaches. But don't let the words confusion, confuse you because in that deconstruction, you have to be kind. If you're not kind, you know, it gets really nihilistic and aversive to see, oh, it's just this being known justice being known. And it takes a lot of wisdom to do the inclusive, right? Because you're, you're practicing not being confused by your thoughts, like, oh, it's just stupid wood. Right? I have to not be confused by that thought. Yeah, it's, it is just wood. But I appreciate, you know, that the skill of the craftsperson who did it, right? The smoothness and how, you know, they measured correctly and there's an orderliness to it that 
is soothing in the mind. And, it, and on that simple level, it's beautiful. And because it's beautiful, my heart, it naturally remembers that ability to include it unconditionally, to let it in, to let it touch the heart. So that's why we begin with what's beautiful, what's good, what's wholesome, because it reminds the heart about this all-embracing, receptive, undefended presence. And it just builds the momentum. So we walk out in the bitter cold, so something that wouldn't we, most of us would normally think of as being good or pleasant. But because now we're kind of warmed up, yeah, I could react, but it's kind of bracing, you know, invigorating to walk out, right? And to learn to appreciate things that in many ways are unpleasant, but to appreciate it. You know, working with the new administration, it, it'd be very easy to have concerns for some people, right? Maybe a lot of people, but but it also could be seen like as a teacher, like how to be fearless, how to uh, see what's good even w- in the midst of things that seem not skillful, not good, or whatever, so that we're not letting our mind get pigeonholed into like this dualistic good and bad. So with mudita, you know, this is the the gateway is really learning. Oh, I, me- I forgot to mention equanimity is the last. So there's four of these trainings. And it really makes the heart nimble so it can really show up in any moment. So basic kindness or goodness, compassion, which can meet what's painful and difficult. Mudita or appreciative joy, which can meet what's good and beautiful. And equanimity, which is able to be intimate when things are ambiguous, uncertain. I don't know if this is good or bad. I don't know what's going to happen. But I still have a way of being intimate. And we call that intimacy when things are uncertain or ambiguous. We call that equanimity. Like, I'm okay not knowing. I'm so okay not knowing that I'm willing to be close. I'm willing to be undefended in this time, in this moment, where I don't know what's happening. I don't know what I should do. I don't even know who I am. But just because I don't know, I can still be intimate. So it's interesting in this system that equanimity is considered one of the qualities, one of the four qualities of love. Right? Because right, we're talking about love in the most general but important sense is that heart that can be undefended, can include. Or even I like the heart that's willing to be touched. So the heart that's willing to be touched by confusion is equanimity. Ambiguity is equanimity. The heart that's willing to be touched by goodness and beauty and success is appreciative joy. And suffering is compassion. And the basic flavor of including we call metta, or love, or kindness, or the basic goodness of the heart. And it and it's really useful, like when we're able to include, like to recognize what's beautiful and keep including it and including it, then it makes the mind, the heart more resilient. 
So a lot of times, you know, because of the way our minds are conditioned, you know, through evolution, those beings that survived were the ones that anticipated danger. So we get really good at having that critical mind, seeing in our partners everything that's wrong with them, (laughs) for example, or seeing in our colleagues at work, or seeing, right? So we get re- and seeing in ourselves too, judging ourselves, comparing. And may, it definitely serves a purpose, but it's out of balance, and it can be exhausting. So when, we're, when we develop this other habit, it really puts that discriminating, judging, critical habit, it kind of puts it into its place, its appropriate place. It's a tool to be able to use, but it's not a framework to live under. You know, or a, It shouldn't be the ruler of the mind that governs the way the mind moves through life. So even on this basic psychological level, there's so much healing in cultivating mudita, this appreciative joy. And of course, the way that we do that as you might imagine, is like if we want to be able to recognize what's beautiful, what's good, what's wholesome in more and more moments of our life, then we practice. Like you sit down, you put aside some time, and you intentionally practice recognizing what's beautiful and good. And you'll notice it's like initially it might feel a little forced or artificial, and you know, there's we have to bring some creativity. We have to try to make this be the activity of the mind for a period of time. But forcing it a little bit or sticking with it, then you'll eventually notice this quality as a natural capacity of the mind to see it. And you'll know this already because sometimes when we're in a good mood, for whatever reason, the good mood mood was caused, you know, you, isn't it true that mudita is just natural? Like if something really good happened to you, you got your promotion or somebody loves you or you had a good workout and you're feeling that body high you get when you have a nice workout and you go back, you know, into your car or out into the world or to the grocery store and it's like the world seems brighter. You're so appreciative of the produce or the... <laughs> Just the, that you walk into the grocery stores now and you've got the little hand cart, you've got the smaller cart, you've got the big cart. It's like options that, you know, and all the little things. You're even impressed by your GPS on your smartphone and the car starts in the cold weather. And It's like we're appreciating things we would normally just be grumbling about, that we have warm clothes to put on, that how nice it feels to walk in. Normally we wouldn't notice, but because we're not in a grim or grumpy mood, then that natural expression of mudita is just there, where the heart, you're not trying to be appreciative, you're not trying to have gratitude, it's just showing up. So what we're doing is we're building the mind's confidence that this mode, this way of perceiving, let's say, that it's an option. It's one of the channels the mind can operate under. But we have to sort of rediscover it in a more intentional way, conscious way, so we can use it. 
And it really, like I said, this, this general spiritual move of including more and more, saying, yes, everything belongs, can't be other than the way it is. And mudita is just one part of that. But it really challenges all of the discriminating, exclusive, negative, self-drama habits of the mind. Because they don't fit in the same mind to kind of be in that scheming, self-centered scheming mode and be appreciative and grateful and including and seeing what's good. You see, they just don't operate it. They can't operate in the same in the mind in the same, at the same time. So if we're more and more in that mode of including, like using mudita, this appreciative joy, as one skillful way to train in that way of including and recognizing everything does belong. Like from this frame, can this moment be different than it is? Does it make sense for my heart to throw anybody out of it? I mean, actually, does it make sense to exclude or to hate? Not, not from this point of view. Hatred doesn't make sense. Because from this point of view, it's like we see the roots. So even if somebody's doing something really unskillful in the moment, we see the roots of it, how it can't be other than the way it is. Wynne and I, my wife and I, saw the front line about our president-elect Trump that's out, some of you maybe don't know, but Frontline is a documentary program on uh, public television. And they do really good work, have for decades now. And uh, you can watch it online. And it's just like, uh, we see this is so true. When we really understand where everyone's coming from, we may not like what they're doing, we may do whatever we can do to stop what they're doing, but we don't hate them. Because we understand they can't be other than who they are. They're just the natural expression of so many causes and conditions. That doesn't mean it's pleasant, doesn't mean it's skillful. It just means that hatred isn't the appropriate response. We see that immediately directly. And not because we want to be good, it's because it's directly experienced as not help being helpful. What's helpful is to understand in this moment it can't be other than the way it is. It is the way that it is. And yes, I say yes to it. I say yes to the suffering. Not that I want the suffering to continue, but to be afraid of the suffering that is here now doesn't help the suffering. Like, just to give a specific example with compassion, if somebody close in your life is dying of cancer, let's say, or suffering of job loss or something like that, for you to be afraid of their suffering doesn't help them. What really helps is for you to somehow be able to manifest an openness with the conditions of their life because that's what they have to do. They have to find a way to open, like, oh, it's like this now, the uncertainty of my life, the loss that's arising in my life. It's like this now. This is the life that's being lived right now. And we model that by being compassionate, by not being afraid of the very real suffering that we're exposed to our own and and others around us and and the world at large. So the direct practice, you know, the way we do it is we make a resolve 
to train in recognizing what's beautiful and what's good and what's wholesome so that we rediscover and we learn to trust more and more the heart that's willing to be touched, willing to see that everything belongs instead of the heart that wants to sort of... Like when I tell myself a story, it's all about protecting the imagined sense of self. Even if I tell myself a story that we're all the same or you're so much better than me or I'm better than you. So whatever kind of story we tell, we're just sort of in our own way massaging the sense of an ego, the sense of separation, trying to feel okay being apart. But we're cultivating a different perspective when we start recognizing what's ordinarily you know, in an ordinary sense, good and wholesome and beautiful. I just appreciate being in the room now. It, it challenges any sort of sense of separation, this inclusive attitude. So I really encourage folks to experiment. And we have lots of time tonight, so it would be nice to hear your own experience with... Um, Moments in your life where you felt naturally inclusive, naturally sensitive to what's good and beautiful and wholesome, and other times when the mind seemed more under the gravitational pull of envy and comparing, and any kind of divisive or separating tendencies of the mind. And of course, any questions you have about what I've said tonight. And remember, on Sunday nights, we usually record the talks, so... Keep that in mind if you're going to share. They will, it will get put up on the internet. And you have to point the mic right at your mouth. Anybody like to begin tonight? It's always nice for folks to say their name, too, if you want. Uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm Casey. Um, I just really appreciated the, uh, the talk today. Um, I just feel like having that quality of, um, of joy and sort of it's it's really easy to kind of get in a in meditation kind of a stagnant sort of that you you're calm and you have some kind of equanimity but to like remind yourself about the appreciative joy so i really appreciate that and i i did want to just share a story um just about you know talking about the administration and you know not to get political or anything but you know i spending spending some time in uh schools uh over this last week and you know working with um teachers, um, working with really young kids, uh, and really hearing some upsetting things, right? A, a five-year-old who was asked his teacher, you know, is it okay for us to be friends now with the new president? And, you know, am I going to get deported? Like different stories like this. And, and then also I was just like looking at the notes from some of the conversations we were having though. And like the, the compassion and like the sort of just, amazing like support that's coming from that um from the from the kids from the administration from the teachers um it's just like amazing and that and that wouldn't be there if there wasn't this really hard moment so i don't know i just wanted to share that you, you're talking about you know kind of finding that silver lining in, in yeah. any situation yeah. so just how people will need to and are fearlessly showing up in little and big ways yeah thanks casey would like to go next. Thoughts about what I've been talking about or questions or your own experiences you want to share with the group that seem in line with some of what's been said tonight? 
Yeah, please, in the back there. Hi, my name is Gail. And, um, Real I've, close, Gail. Sorry, <laughs> is that better? I've been having um, a hard time with my father, and um, I can really relate to when you were talking about how you get in these patterns of thinking, or I don't really know what you said, but to me it was like these patterns of thinking where you've been more focused on like the negative things, and my head just starts to go like in this really dark place where I think of every wrong he's ever done to me and um, I think now that I can from tonight's talk I feel like I'm ready to look at it a different way and try to find more Um, he did do a lot of really great things and maybe I need to start focusing on the good things instead of all the negative things yeah Yeah, that's great focusing on and even what you're doing right now, uh-huh. like your w- willingness to say that out loud in your own recognition, that's also beautiful. I mean, just what is going on or just what went on in your own heart those last few moments. Like you can recognize also that, not just that he's done some really beautiful things, but me wanting to recognize that he's done some beautiful things, that's also beautiful. You know, it's kind of contagious when we start seeing what's good and beautiful. Like that healing, that's really beautiful. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that, Gal. See, Tim would like to go next. My name's Tim. I work at the the Surly restaurant. And uh, when I first started there, it seemed like... Maybe a little bit louder, Tim. When I, when I first started there, it seemed like really overwhelming and just a lot of distraction. And it's loud and not the kind of place I'd normally be. But lately I've been seeing people more as just enjoying themselves. And they, uh, they, they take a lot of joy in like these simple, these simple stupid things that, that, <laughs> that, uh, the restaurant is made of and, I'm taking a lot more I'm just like I feel more like I'm a a part of it that it's just like a place where people enjoy themselves and I'm like opening up to that yeah because it it's easy for us to be a grump like when people are happy but they're being happy in superficial ways you know God grow up <laughs> and and like we could be justified being the, the grump but why not, like, maybe their happiness is really limited or superficial in some way, but still they're happy. And we're not saying, when we appreciate that they're happy, we're not saying that they found the key to happiness, or we're not saying that they're never going to be unhappy. We're just saying, I'm happy that you're happy, and your happiness makes me happy. And it's better than you not being happy, you know? So it doesn't... Uh, it doesn't need to be profound, the kind of happiness and goodness that our heart can appreciate. Just simple things. It's like the chickadees. I mean, they're just going to be hungry a little bit later, but still we can appreciate that they've got a seed to eat. That can be a cause for joy. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Who would like to go next? 
moments of appreciative joy that you you recognize in your life. Yeah, please, Dave. Yeah, my name's Dave. Uh, I've been looking at experiences, you know, pleasant, neutral, and unpleasant experiences, and uh, it, it seems like it's easy for me to spin those, uh, like a neutral experience, to spin it in, into a negative one, or I've been looking at it, how I could spin that into a positive one, and still still not being attached to it, but just the way I I look at it. And one thing that's easy to do is... is like when I was jogging this past week, it's like it's cold out, but it's like my body wasn't aching, and it's like you know at this age, that's I can appreciate that, and that that <laughs> that made that that turned it into a joyful experience. And at the same time, I've been trying to look at interactions with people, sometimes that seem unpleasant, and 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 realize that you know I don't understand what's going on in this interaction, where they're coming from. And, 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 and try to turn the way I look at it and try to understand the other person so it's not such a negative experience. And, 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 and in a way, even appreciate that experience, even though it is unpleasant, but, but try to figure out why I'm spinning it. And, and, and if I go down that path very far, you know, why, why am I doing that? Yeah. Because then you're operating like in that, uh, that's that other spiritual training of including, right? So the mind is operating, it's been trained to operate as if everything does belong, including this person's negative behavior. So like how, I know I can include it, I know I will include it, but I haven't figured it out yet. So that's the investigation, like how to be okay that the world is this way, how to relax with the beauty and the suffering, because the world is this way. And... I have confidence, you know, a growing confidence that yes is the approach or is the appropriate response. Yes, it is like this now. It can't be other than the way. You can't be other than the way you are right now. I can't be other than the way I am now. And that it's just sort of the natural then way to meet that moment is with love, appreciative joy for what's beautiful, compassion for the suffering, equanimity for the confusion, and it's all kind of held in that basic metta, that heart that can say yes. Thanks, Dave, for sharing that. Who would like to go next? Oh, here we go. Hello, I'm Brenda. Um, I had kind of a a major shift in a couple of relationships this week, some very close relationships to me. And one thing that I've noticed is that, of course, I've been ruminating on it and thinking about it, and I, I start to feel defensive, and I start to go negative, and I, I'm like already defending future conversations with these people that haven't even happened. <laughs> and, um, and generally, they're in the negative light, and I'm right in these conversations. And what I've found is that these conversations in my head make me feel awful, and they make me miserable and they hurt and they are not true to reality they are the stories that I have in my head but um, what I really liked about your talk today that really came away with me is the the stopping and you know appreciating the wood and appreciating the very simple things around us because 
I can I can totally value that as a skill and see how that I can't I can't stop and appreciate the wood and be angry with them at the same time. I can't right. have those two things happening at the same time. And so that if I do take the time to just really mindfully stop and appreciate right what's right here, it stops that negative spinning that's not even real. Yeah. And that's a blessing. So. Yeah, we can Thank hear you. it in your voice, the way you've yeah. shared it, that you know it from your own experience. And it's, it sounds so simple, but it's really true. When the heart is in the mode of con- connecting, saying yes, it can't be in the mode of pushing away. And the thing is, people confuse. They think, well, I need to s- connect or say yes to the person that's irritating me. No, like you said, it could be anything. So don't, that's like graduate level practice. Start with something simple like <laughs> appreciating the clothes we're wearing, you know, or just really simple things that we can breathe in, right, that the body's functioning as well as it is. Yeah, thanks, Brenda, for sharing. Who would like to go next? Okay, over here. Hi, um, my name is Rafaela. And one sentence that stuck to me today that you said was like, our mind is so dependent on being right. It's like, we want to prove we are right, and it's, I don't understand why maybe, I don't know, genetically we are programmed to the wanted to be right to survive or something. But um, it's just an incident that happened this morning, and it just what you say just totally brought it um in the supermarket that had a little incident with the with the price or something and and i told the lady i said no they are in discount there and she, and she said oh i'm going to look and as she went she she said enough to i say they are and she said i work here i know where they are okay <laughs> but i knew she was going in the wrong direction so she she come back. Anyway, I was right at the end, and I to her then later to what it was. But I had that thing like I am right, and 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 she's wrong, and I'm gonna prove her. <laughs> and and um, I was I was lucky enough to to have somebody on my side that coached me, and said after all was cleared up, and she returned or put the money back in that account, whatever. Go and say thank you. Uh. And I just saw her face because she was not expecting that because, yeah. she, in my opinion, she didn't treat me nicely enough. But I went and I said, thank you so much for your service. That was very nice of you. <laughs> she just lighted up. And I felt like I had taken that out of my eyes. Mm. That was the right thing to do. And I, I wouldn't be alone. I would not have done it. I probably got to the supermarket. Like, I was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she was wrong. So to to hear you say now, our mind, I, I feel that's a big thing in me. I, I don't know, I'm a teacher. I'm a mother. I'm like, I'm, I have to be right all the time. And... and mm. <laughs> It's it's something I need to practice. (laughs) Yeah, we feel like if you had walked out without that, if you had any space to look, you would have noticed that left over. And we can go to bed at night. When we go to bed at night, it's really appropriate for all those places where we didn't say thank you, didn't sort of find a way to resolve the, the rip or the sort of divisive separation. We can still do it there, lying in bed with our pajamas on, Right, because we don't need the other person. It's basically 
having a different perspective instead of the divisive perspective i'm right and you were wrong yeah and and you you know and you were arrogant and so instead of spinning with that we just kind of open and we realize that sometimes people are confused i'm confused sometimes maybe she was confused today but somehow finding a way to include her behavior your behavior yeah, it couldn't have been other than the way it is. And so part of it maybe is appreciative joy, but a lot of it is just compassion of people who are just doing the best they can in the world. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm going to that story. <laughs> <laughs> There's more to tell? Because uh, my name is Carlos, and I was with her. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and what I was thinking, I was observing this, I was observing this, I was, I was saying... We don't know what happened with this woman before we got there. And I remember once, once a story that you referred, I don't know if it was a true, true story that happened to you or what, but there was somebody in the car insulting, and, and what is the other side of that? You don't know how this person got to that point. Yeah. And I wouldn't have helped her either if we had left angry. One thing that I was thinking is that we're benefiting we're benefiting all of us by doing this, right? Because probably the next person dealing with this woman, she's going to be more relaxed. Everybody's yeah. going to be more relaxed. And we were more relaxed. It has ripple effects. This is how we change the world. Really. I mean, it seems so simple or small. But if we were all doing this and then affecting everybody else who affects, as Carlos says, everybody else, it really starts going deep. It's just hard to be mean and divisive and manipulative and greedy and hateful and unjust when we're operating from this other perspective. Anybody want to finish it up? We have a couple minutes left. Is there one more? Yeah, please. Hi, my name is Pam. I volunteer at uh, Ramsey County Juvenile Hall on uh, Tuesday nights, and we brought um, my hit my friends up for money this year, and we brought I brought presents for the kids, and um, being okay with the unknown, I know that um, I can walk in there with a bunch of presents, and those kids are still going to think that this is the worst day of their life because being incarcerated over the holidays is really hard for for young kids, and so I have to go in there um, with no expectations of what their reactions are going to be. And um, and sometimes it's it makes it even worse for some of the kids because they see what their own families have not done or haven't been able to do for them. But um, it was a really it was a really fun experience. I know that um, it was important for me to my for my friends to support me, which they did. And um, it was a good experience for the kids. But it's it's difficult to go into that because I know it's not going to be what everybody else thinks of Christmas as. Um, and it, it is life-changing for the kids, too, to know that strangers care about them. Yeah. yeah thanks for sharing. That's a nice way to end. Let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words. I'll just end in the silence. I'll just read uh, some words of the Buddha, but let's just take a few seconds in the silence. So the Buddha said, practitioners, 
when universal love leading to liberation of mind is ardently practiced, developed, unrelentingly resorted to, used as one's vehicle, made the foundation of one's life fully established, well consolidated and perfected, then these 11 blessings may be expected. What 11? One sleeps happily. One wakes happily. One does not suffer bad dreams. One is dear to human beings. One is dear to non-human beings. One is protected from harm. One's mind gets quickly concentrated. The expression on one's face is serene. One dies unperturbed. And even if one falls, fails to attain higher states, one will at least reach the state or a beautiful rebirth. Practitioners, when universal love leading to the liberation of mind is ardently practiced, developed, unrelentingly resorted to, used as one's vehicle, made the foundation of one's life, fully established, well consolidated, and perfected, then these 11 blessings may be expected. It's a little positive incentive for us all. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.